turn this morning to James chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 8. James 1, 1 through 8. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, read, My brethren, every all joy in this calling desire of temptation. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith will be patient. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, then master God, and give it to all men liberally, and upright it not, and it shall be given you. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you acknowledging that we are in need of your spirit. We look to you in faith that you have spoken to us even now through the reading of your word, and that you will speak to us yourself as your word is said. Thank you that you have inspired, that we have from your very breath. And now as we make requests of all sorts you pray for our nation, that you would grant us repentance from our many sins. That you would work in the hearts of our presence, of our Senate, House, our Supreme Court, National, but also our government, our Senate, Follow 
says in verse chapter 3, verse 13, Who is a wise man and in you with knowledge among you? Let him show out of the good conversation of his words and meekness of wisdom. That's heavenly wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory God and why not against the truth? This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above, going back to heavenly wisdom here, is first pure, impeachable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This entire book is an exhortation to the, the, what he calls the tribe, meaning Christians who are scattered, telling them to walk in wisdom despite the trials that they're facing. We all know that when pressure comes, when difficulties surround us, we are more prone to sin. We're also, at those times, more prone to excuse sin because of the pressures that we have. It can be any number of pressures, again, from all sorts of directions. But we want to excuse sin because of these things. And James is saying, don't do that. He talks in chapter 2 about the tendency to exalt some who could be really beneficial to it well, while looking down at others, having respect a person. He's saying that your faith must have work with it. True faith has obedience as a result. In chapter 3, he exhorts them to not speak in a way that is harmful, that is divisive, because the mouth of a child of God, a mouth that is in submission to God, is one that will speak kindness that will speak grace rather than speaking evil and hypocrisy. Then he goes on in chapter 4 to talk about displaying humility to one another. And instead of looking in the future to what you could have in humility, submit yourself to God and trust that he will provide what you need. And finally, in chapter 5, it's a final exhortation to patience. So he begins in chapter 1 with an exhortation to patience. He ends in chapter 5 with an exhortation to patience. Consider Job. He is a righteous man before God, and he is respected among others. Yet he faced great trials, all under the sovereign hand of God. The people here, likely, and the James right into face trials from those who did not understand what they were doing. They were Jews, and they've been formally practicing Old Covenant Judaism, and now they had become followers of Christ, and they said it was the fulfillment of Judaism, and likely those, their friends, neighbors, and family didn't understand how can you leave and they said, no, we're following Jesus Christ. And so there was misunderstanding there. They faced mocking. And again, that's not even counting the daily trials of sickness and 
all saved. So, for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at how wisdom is displayed during time of trial. In verses 2 and 3, we, we read that wisdom means considering it joyful, considering our trial joyful because of the end result. How do we count it all joy? He said in verse 3, knowing that the trying of your faith work is patience. It seems like an impossible task. Again, like Job said, the Apostle Paul faced the same question. How do you retain joy in trial? And we count it joy not because we enjoy what we're facing. We count it joy because we know what he is doing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read in verse 15, For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of me renounce the glory of God, for which cause we thank not. For though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, that the things which are unseen, to the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He said that the, the affliction that we're facing right now is working in us something that is greater than what we can see temporarily with our eyes. We love our children. You know, sister Ann, you love your children, you love them when they were really young, and now treat them differently when they're older. We love our children also, but we know because we love them, there are things that we don't give them at times that they want. And then there's things that we do give them at times that they don't want. This is for their good. But our Heavenly Father treats us the same way. There's things that He gives us that we don't want. There are things that he doesn't give us that we want and we don't understand. Why are you doing it this way when I would rather it be this other way? And he is telling us there's things that our children can't understand no matter how much we explain. They can't understand why we're doing it. They can hear the words. They can sometimes even comprehend the words but they don't really get it. Many times the Father responds to us with the simple answer of trusting. When our trust is tried, it produces hopeful endurance, or as the English Standard Version says, it produces steadfastness. The trying of your faith works endurance, steadfastness, it works in us that which is eternal. It's almost a parallel passage in First Peter chapter one, verse seven, where it says, "The trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found as a praise and honor and glorious appearing of Christ Jesus." 
is it the trial that's much more precious? No. What is being tried? Our faith is much more precious than gold. Gold is in Revelation we see it's the stuff you walk on. Its importance is minimal because the faith of Christ that's been given to us is much greater. So just as gold is tried, it's heated to a, to a point that all the impurities come up so it is purified and it's stronger as a result. For the Christian, the result of trials is that, is that they are able to endure more. Now that may not sound like an encouraging thought of being purified so that a greater weight can be put on me at a later time. But, as we're told, it is working in us, the Apostle Paul said, a greater, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. If we were to see heaven itself, and we were to try to enter in, and I don't know it's impossible, but, but if it were possible, we would find that we would be very uncomfortable because we are not yet to the point. We, are, we have not been purified in the way that we will be when we die, and then once we are resurrected in the end, we will have a body that will be able to withstand things that we could not withstand at all. Now, not that we'll face trials that time, but we will be able to enjoy pleasures and delights that we could not enjoy now. And even the trials that we face here, we will have a totally different view on that. So we consider trials joyful because of the end result. When he sends us these trials, our Heavenly Father has chosen to give us perseverance to prove to the world that we are his child. When he sends the trials, he is saying, I love it. Next, wisdom in trials calls us to remember that God is working in us. Verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work that he may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. James goes from an active verb when he says, count it all joy, as something that we are called to do. We are called to render it. In verse 4, he goes to a passive verb, and he says, let patience, allow patience to have her perfect work. In other words, allow this endurance, this, this steadfastness, allow it to accomplish what it's intended to accomplish. Well, how do we just stand by and allow these things to come? Because it gets pretty hot sometimes. The trials are hard, the way is dark, and I don't know if I can hold out much longer. But our Father loves us so much that He doesn't want us to be settled, to become comfortable and forget Him. It'd be really nice to think, I wouldn't forget this. But that's the tendency of all who are human. 
even though we are regenerate, we are sanctified, we are being sanctified, we are justified, we still, without being pressed, would forget. We would live, or try to live, on our own. These trials are from God. And He is more interested in working in us that way of glory than He is in keeping us comfortable. So we have to submit our desires and will to God and not take the easy way out of trials. Abraham had an easy way that he could have chosen. He was asked to sacrifice his son. He could have said, I've got a better idea. How about I sacrifice something else, an animal. I've got plenty of them. That would have been easy. He could have done that, but it would have been difficult. Or Daniel. The law was made to not pray to anyone else other than the king. Well, of course, one option could have been to not pray, but a, 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 another option that he could have chosen was pray for the widow's place. After all, isn't prayer a private business? Isn't it something that's just between me and God? And it's not something I would. He could have read. I mean, this would be really easy to reason out. I don't want to disturb others. They wouldn't understand anyway, so I'm going to shut my window. He could have done that, but he didn't. He left the window open. Knowing the consequences. Stephen could have chosen to temper or to change his sermon so that it would not offend the hearers. He could have said, I need to use words that they can understand while at the same time not disturbing them to the point where they can't hear the gospel. But had he changed his words, he would have been covering the gospel. So obedience meant proclaiming what is true despite the fact that others didn't want to hear it. They, they knew something that we can easily forget. God is working something in me that I cannot control, and if I seek to, if I seek the easy way out, I will miss what he's doing. When this happens, that endurance, when, when he says for us to allow endurance to have our perfect work, when we go through the trial, he is making us perfect and complete. We are to allow it to happen rather than actively seeking a way out. So we go through the trial in submission to him. So we consider it joyful because of the end result. We remember that God is working in us, but also wisdom during times of trial means that we pray for wisdom. During times of trial, we are called to pray 
for wisdom. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and give it to all men liberally and upbraid it not, and it shall be given him. It's not easy to follow these commands. I say that in a lot of experience. We have to battle our flesh. We have to maintain a godly attitude. We must come to the end of ourselves and look to Christ. The phrase, ask of God, is in the present tense. That means we don't say at the outset, please help, and then cut it off at that point and say, all right, he said pray for wisdom, I pray, and that's it. It means when he says ask of God, that means continually ask. Throughout your time of trial, you ask, and you ask, and you ask, and you ask, and you don't stop asking. It's a, it's a, a shorter way of saying pray without ceasing. By using the present tense. When he says that we should ask of God. Because most of the time we know one prayer doesn't cut it. Now, could he answer in one? Sure, he could answer without a prayer if he wanted to. But he doesn't. He's teaching reliance on him. Wisdom, though, is the principal request of this prayer. It's easy, and I have before prayed, please get rid of this trial of human But he tells us, he commands us, ask God for wisdom in this trial. We know that wisdom belongs to God, and he gives it to those who ask. Proverbs 2. Beginning in verse 2. He says, So that thou incline thy hearing to wisdom, and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler for them that walk uprightly. Pursuing silver and gold is not usually a two-hour process where we get the map and say, okay, there it is. All right. So I plug this address into my GPS and drive over there, and then it's just sitting right there out with my name on it, saying, there it is. Now, searching for silver and gold takes a long time. Because it's hidden. He we search for his hidden treasure. So we have to pursue and pursue and pursue. And we do this through prayer and through opening ourselves to God's Word and opening ourselves to the wisdom of others as we face these things. God loves consistent prayer. Some have thought, won't he get tired if I just pray for the same thing over and over again? But the opposite is true. 
He is the one that causes the sun to come up the same way every day. And if he wanted it to come up differently every day, could he do that? Of course. But he ordains many things to be done in the same way. And he is glad for us to pray for the same thing over and over and over again. Just like the parable of the unjust judge. When the widow went and requested of him on a regular basis that he would give her justice. And finally, he said, she's going to nag me to death, so I'm going to give it to her. And Jesus is saying, if he, if the unjust judge would do that, how much more your heavenly Father will he do that? We know it's the, the words of Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. It's a it's a gradual stepping up each time. You ask, you seek, you knock. It, he didn't stop with ask and you shall receive. So many times there are things, and wisdom is one of these things we have to pursue over a long period of time. And if we try to rush out of whatever it is that we're facing, we will miss what he has in store for us. He invites us as his children to come into his presence. And sometimes Christians don't do this because they think, I don't pray well. My prayers don't have the same effect as someone else. But part of the gift of the Holy Spirit is that we are all given access to the throne of God. We are all told. You lack wisdom? Ask. Okay? And not only do we ask, but he says to ask in faith. We should not be like those who think that God is chintzy with his gifts. He's not chintzy. He's gracious. If he wanted to be very strict upon us, likely we would probably still be walking everywhere. But no, he's given us heart. Or he would have the sky and the grass and the trees all the same color everywhere. But he didn't do that. He made them all different colors so that we can admire them. He is not a conflict. He is, if you'll allow me to use this term, because Scripture uses it, that he gives to all liberally. God is liberal in the giving sense. He is open with his gifts. But he does expect his children to ask and as we grow in maturity, he will give. There are things that we... I look forward to giving our children certain things. I'm not going to mention what those are right now. But there are things that I look forward to giving our children, but we can't at this point because they're too young. And if we did give them, give those things to them, they would hurt themselves. But the Lord knows if He were to give us certain things while we are not yet 
waiting for them to leave the production. The psalmist says that our Father does not despise the prayer of the destitute. See, it's not our ability to pray that gives us right standing before God. It is not using words that are impressive or placing them in the right pattern that causes him to say, ah, this person, I like the way he has constructed that prayer. Therefore, I'm going to listen to him. However, this child over here, it, 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 it's not this good. So, I'm not going to listen to the child. I'll listen to this intelligent, erudite, well-learned adult. Thankfully, that's not the case. Never has been. He hears us because of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Christ that gains us right standing with God. So therefore, we do not recede in prayer. We do not back off from prayer because of fear, either that he will not hear, that we are not good enough, or that he will not give. We come to him in faith. We come to him as a child, trusting him. So we come in faith, knowing that He will bring the wisdom that we have. And again, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself some, but lastly, we pray, not only do we pray for wisdom, but we pray in faith. He takes the section verses 6 through 8, he talks on praying in faith. He says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. In other words, not doubting. Your faith, solid. For he that wavereth, or doubts, is like a wave of the sea, driven in the wind of toss. So let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The process in verses 5 through 8 is one of separating the sheep from the goats. Now, that can sound a little bit intimidating at first. But those who believe in Christ come to the Father in faith. And those who don't believe, those who don't come in faith, don't persevere. The trial will overcome them. They will wash them out. Now again, what does it say? That means that you have a doubt and I'm done. Because I've, I've doubted. I, I've prayed before and I, it wasn't fully in faith. Who among us has not said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief? But this isn't just asking anything in faith, it's asking for wisdom. And those who love Christ have been given the gift of His Spirit, and the Spirit within us calls out to God for greater understanding, for greater wisdom when we face trials. Even if you yourself cannot pray it fully, the Spirit is praying for you and through you with groanings to the Father that cannot be uttered. When you don't know how to pray, He is praying for you. 
you can't help but pray and your faith be strengthened over time because the Holy Spirit is leading you through Christ to the Father. You will be drawn to Him because you are growing as His child. This process brings about stronger, more enduring, more steadfast and firm faith, and it begins with trust in God's promise. The one who doesn't trust instead is like a wave of the sea. He said for us to not think, don't suppose, don't say, maybe I will receive something from the Lord. When you come, don't come without belief. Not saying that you can't come with weak belief. That's everybody at one point or another. But don't come without belief. In other words, don't come like the hypocrite who doesn't think that it matters anymore. And you can take one or two philosophies here. You can say either it's not going to do any good anyway, but I'm going to I'm going to use these words because that's what everybody around me expects. You can say that, or on the other hand, you could say I'm just going to try. I'm not even going to come. I'm not going to ask. I know I won't receive. Both cases, without belief. And he said that person is a double-minded man. It's, it's a person who is like a tiny boat out on a rough sea and... Excuse me. Yes, excuse the example of a wave. The waves are driven by the wind. And the wind blows one way, and it blows, and this wave goes here. And the wind blows another way, and the wave goes back. But ultimately, that wave doesn't go anywhere permanently. Because it starts out, and then it falls. And then another one starts out, and it falls. And God's children are not like that. When we go to Him in prayer, in faith, we're not leaning on our own understanding. We're looking to Christ. We're trusting in Him with all of our heart, even though we can't see things working out the way we would like. Because if, that is, if that's not how we pray, we have a divided heart. And we are unstable, just like that wave is unstable. We are when he said a double-minded man is unstable, one who is a hypocrite in the heart, one who is two-faced, one who is divided. We must be anchored to the Lord. And when we are anchored in the Spirit of God, in Christ, going to the Father, asking for wisdom, trusting that He is working in us that which is well-pleasing in His sight, and we consider it joyful because of the result that He is bringing about, then we can rest in the fact that we will grow in wisdom. 
as we ask. So we can, as children of God, we can know that God is working in us through trials. He is building hope and perseverance in us, and even while we can't see it, we submit ourselves to Him. And we come to Him in faith, knowing that He will not despise our weakness, but that He will hear our prayer and give us the wisdom that we need.